Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than Del Boy and Rodney running around like Batman and Robin. Ah, My name is Ash Rose, your host and your guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast. Hope everyone is well. Hope you enjoyed our last episode where we spoke to Steve Frogger. I thought he was great value for money as well. Some great stories there. If you haven't listened to it, get in the archive. And, and get back and listen to, to that episode. We've got loads more of those chats with uh, former 90s footballers to come. Today, we're going to have a bit of a chat about, I want to call it a barren era, but a, a wilderness era for English football. Um, and you're racking your brain to think when, but it has to be the early 90s. Before we get into it, though, let's introduce my band of merry men today. Firstly, he's always here now. He's, you know, he's a part of the furniture. He's the landlord of the football tavern on Twitter, Mr. Ed Chambers. Ed how are the devil are you, sir? I am very well, Ash. Uh, glad to be here again and looking forward to this subject uh, very much, mainly due to the fact that every England supporter thinks that um, they should have won a tournament at some point, despite how they, you know, how uh, however we did. Um, and I think I'm looking forward to explaining to everyone how we could have won Euro 92. Um, and then after that lunch, I'll go out and find Shergar. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking well, forward to this. One. As we've said many times that we did the Euro 92 show way, way, way back when, um, when this show uh-huh. first started, it's like the forgotten tournament. And mainly because, I mean, there weren't many teams in it, obviously, but also because how pants England were. Um, exactly. But any squad with Andy Sinton in should have won a major tournament is is my... Well, I, I, I genuinely can't understand how Andy Sinton and England didn't win Euro 92. And also, somebody said to me on the football tavern the other day, I think it was yesterday, that um, Andy Sinton wears a wig. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I'm not too sure about that, but uh, maybe that's a, that's a podcast in, it, in itself another day. That's, having, you know, Andy Sinton in my life for pretty much the entire supporting of QPR, I've never heard anyone else say that Andy Sinton, he's got a very unusual voice. Is I he? always think. Yeah. Cause he does the QPR podcast as well. And the commentary on the, on the feed. And um, I, I can't, I can never explain it. You have to hear it. That It's just the, the inclination in his voice, the way he uses words. It's very unusual. Yeah. I think it's because he was born, I think he's from Bradford originally and where he's probably been Londonized. I think it's yeah. a bit of a mix, but it's very. Yeah. I'll, tell you, uh, I'll tell you who's not Londonized. Who's that? Uh, our guest today. I know I'm getting there. We were having a no, conversation. He's waiting you know, very patiently. I know. I'm and he's smiling saying. at me in a gloriously yeah. third, England third kit from this era. Um, Good to have him back, actually. And somebody, if you follow Ed on, on Twitter, on the Football Tavern, you follow us. I'm sure you follow this guy as well. He is the man behind Stu's footy flashbacks, Mr. Stuart Stillyard. Hello, Stu. How you doing, buddy? I am great, Ash. How are you? Really good to be back on the show. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I think we found a niche with you because I think the last time we had you on, we picked an England squad for the 1994 World Cup on the, off the back of your article, didn't we? So we're in your wheelhouse at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, there's a huge Graham Taylor link <laughs> to both these shows that I'm on, yeah. Which wouldn't go unnoticed because I think we probably went through this last time. We probably did your CV, if I, if I remember rightly. Yeah. You're a, obviously a big Aston Villa fan and, as anyone who follows you on Twitter, head of the David Platt fan club. Uh, if yeah, if if there really was a David Platt fan club, Ash, I, I am in charge. It's yeah, you know my feelings on Platt, and I'm sure we're going to get onto that soon. Yeah, we well we've said we have, he's an episode we will do at some point because he's somebody. He's very. I always find he's a bit of a. I mean, we will do this when we do the David Platt episode, but and we'll talk about it as we go. But somebody that is almost forgotten because 
he was such a massive part of the 1990s, maybe because he went to Italy and we only had, you know, a very short window to see him on a Saturday and Sunday morning. Um, but he did so much, you know, for Villa, what he did in Italy, coming back to Arsenal. I always think of that goal gets Man United in the 98 title race as well. Um, Ed, what are your, quickly, before we get into the, the meat of the sandwich of today's show, David Platt for you, what, what instantly comes to mind when you think of David Platt? Um, what instantly comes to mind with David Platt? That is a very good question. Um, I Other suppose, than the greatest goal scored in the yeah, World Yeah, well, yeah. I was, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that, that was my get out of jail free card to go to the obvious, <laughs> which was uh, Gascoigne's great chip in and Platt's, Platt's volley in Italian INC. But in terms of Platt, it was almost how through qualification or not, or qualification or, yeah. or not qualification as it turned out to be as part of the, um, you know, going to the USA, um, Platt almost, carried that team to an extent yeah almost in Gascoigne's absence at times um and I just seem to remember that he always just seemed to be in the right place at the right time maybe I suppose in in modern day terms you'd almost see him as more a Frank Lampard type perhaps he would get into the box finish off the go finish off the the great moves I mean we'll come on to the we'll probably come on to the Denmark game in Venables first game and the finish for that, the run and the finish for that are absolutely superb. Mm. So my, just my memory of David Platt is just being a great goal scoring midfielder. Yeah. I mean, for those who don't really remember his Villa days, what what are your, you know, why did, why would you be? What did he do for Villa? And obviously there's a massive Taylor link because he was with Taylor at Villa at the start of the decade. What was yeah, before role? Before he went to Italy, he, he, there was two seasons on the trot where he got over 20 goals. Crazy. Then, yeah, for midfielder back then it was it was crazy, but it's just unfortunate Platt, that his his best England years happened to be within the Graham Taylor years, really. And like Ed says, he he single handedly nearly got them to USA '94. Really, um, he was the only consistent performer throughout his tenure. Mm, no, he was. He was. It, a funny thing. I and my dad winds me up about this all the time. I used to not like David Platt scoring for England, which sounds like a weird statement. But I was always, always as a kid, I was so obsessed with strikers. And at the yeah. time, obviously, Les Ferdinand was coming to the the boil as well for England. So as a QPR fan, I wanted him to score and play. And and I'd be like, oh, not Platt again. They used to have this kind of, yeah. oh no, not him. But it but it happened so often. My dad used to yeah. wind me up. It's the same thing about Kevin yeah. Gallen. I used to ha- think Kevin Gallen was rubbish, and then he became our savior again. And my dad to yeah. this day reminds me that I used to hate Kevin Gallen. They even said it to him to his face when we were at a, a, an event once, and I was like, cheers, mate, thanks, dad. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, ask, but, ask, but ask, then. Just Sorry, imagine though, Ash. Just imagine though, Ash. If if Platt hadn't scored those goals, how much worse England would have been? Yeah, no, it's exactly. true. Yeah, Ash, I mean... is this is is this the same dad though? Just to sort of well, I've got more than back. one. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, no, I'm saying that, but is you know, well, well, anyway, is is this is this the same father of yours that that didn't rate Alan Shearer? Shall we shall we throw that into the mix? Yeah, to... I think I've mentioned that before. Yeah, yeah. this was yeah. more of a so when we used to do so the infancy of fantasy football, it was dream team in the sun. Yeah, it became a more mainstream thing in the '90s, and we used to yeah. pick a team each, and we'd battle each. Me and my dad would battle each other before you started doing it with friends and stuff. He never used to pick Shearer, and I used to think that was like a you know a bizarre thing because mm. if you're going to score points especially at that early stage when it was really only about goals you pick Shearer and my, yeah he used to say I don't I, I don't rate him I don't think he's a I think he's in there's my dad picking Gary McAllister and Matt Letizia and I'm going yeah. well yeah they're not going to get you as many points dad they're just not yeah, yeah. they might entertain yeah but but that's not dream team <laughs> exactly <laughs> especially in the Suns dream team so yeah very 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 odd but yeah um, that's my dad for you I suppose right let's get stuck in then 
let's pretend we're in post Italia 90 euphoria. You know, Robson's handily gone. Bobby Robson, that is. He's now moved to PSV. Was that PSV? Yeah. yeah. Was yeah. PSV. Graham Taylor was appointed. Um, I think, you know, firstly, we have to all hold up our hands and say we we're all very young at this point, uh, which is a nice yeah. feeling to think as well. So we, we're not completely looking back at this guy. Oh, do you remember when that happened? We're kind of, there is some kind of looking back through slightly older eyes and looking back on what happened. But I mean, Graham Taylor for a Villa fan, Stu, at this point had got them to second in the league, wasn't it, behind Liverpool? So he was the highest placed English manager in football. So that would give you especially in those days where it would be absurd to think of a, a foreign manager for England. That should give him the keys to the castle. But the, at the time, yeah. there seemed to be some backlash against Taylor being appointed. And I mean, from a Villa fan's point of view, what, what do you, why would you think that would be at that point? Um, well, there, there was a backlash at first because Graham Taylor at the time was the first uh, manager to be appointed as England manager who had not played for England as a player. And back then... It, very, very snobbery yeah. way of looking at it. Um, but also, I mean, like you say, he finished second with Villa. At the time, he was the only realistic choice. Um, I remember um, reading that Howard Kendall was at Man City. He had a, a bit in his contract, a clause that said if England come in for him, he could go. He could go. But City weren't doing that well that season. Um, Joe Royal was even mentioned at the time, but Alden was in the second tier. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you put him against those two, he is really the, only, the, the natural choice at the time. Yeah, Ed, we had that question on, on Twitter, didn't we? That We did, were... yeah. Um, Michael Hamlin from, as we probably know from 80s and 90s, uh, football on Twitter was sort of uh, sent me a message just uh, pre, pre-pod, pre actually, just sort of saying, talk, looking at the, um, the the other candidates, so to speak. I would sort of throw, um, you know, like uh, Venables was, was um, obviously a, a candidate um, as well, probably, but it was almost like he'd missed out in 82 to Robson. He'd missed out again here um 90 to taylor and i think what you're saying there ash is, is probably right in the fact that taylor was the highest placed manager in england um and whether he was the right man in terms of what the public perception was i, mean, I suppose we should also remember that in in sort of pre-twitter days pre-internet days the only the only way that people got their information about someone was through through the press so if 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 the papers had a bad take on taylor then that would mean to an extent, the country would have a bad take on mm. Taylor. That's my, that's my opinion. Um, so, I think Taylor was the FA's man. He was the right man at that point in time. Um, in in my opinion, his time had come. Essentially, um, obviously, it didn't. Perhaps as we're going to go on to talk about now, it probably didn't turn out um, the way that we hoped uh, mm. it would do. Um, but at that at that time, up against like she was saying, up against the other candidates. He ticked all the boxes. Yeah. Well, Stu mentioned Kendall there. I mean, Man City finished 14th place in the, yeah. the first division that season. Yeah. Um, but I suppose below... it's worth, sorry, I was gonna, you're probably going to say it. It's probably worth noting that three years before that, he won the league. with Everton. Yeah. So... But I think maybe he'd, t- like, if Robson had gone a few years earlier, maybe Kendall would have been more prominently placed. I think, in yeah. fairness to the FA, they looked at what was going on in football and saw Taylor. He'd done, you know, the job he'd done at Watford as well, pretty much transformed them yeah. into a, a club that could win trophies and obviously promoted them as well. I think his track record, although, as Stu said, never played for England, never won anything. I think that was thrown at him as well. He never actually won a major trophy um, in his time uh, as a manager. You know, they're not, not classing promotions and things like that. But 
to finish second to at that point was, you know, a Liverpool side that was the Liverpool side of, of that era coming out of that era pretty much. Well, I think, you know, that is kind of, that's laying it on your CV, isn't it? I know how Howard Wilkinson is another name I saw floating around as well, who yeah. was at Leeds, of course, but again, maybe a bit early because Leeds wouldn't win the league obviously for another couple of years. Um, so I think Taylor, you meant that it seemed like the right choice at the time. We were obviously seeing in hindsight, but what I will say, and I said to this, I said this before pod, I think history it's a little bit, should be a little bit kinder to Taylor. And as we'll talk about, because I think that there are circumstances that were out of his control, which we'll go into. But I think when you look back and how harshly he was treated and how harshly his reigns looked on, it's, you know, it's questionable where it was all down to him, but that's, that's talk. So he was appointed in July, 1990. Um, His first game came that September, which was against Hungary. Now, Ed, you've got the team in front of you. Now, many of people are thinking, oh, here comes the big sweeping changes from Graham Taylor's England. Not yeah. really, though, really, was it? Um, not really. I, I suppose you, you, I suppose in fairness to Taylor here as well, and that you're not going to come in straight away and break up a team that's just reached the World Cup final. Yeah. Obviously, um, Terry Butcher um, had sort of, you know, sort of retired, I believe, at this point, and Peter Shilton, of course, so the two of them are not there. Uh, Brian Robson's not around um, either. Um, so the team, in my best John Watson voice, the team. So the team was um, Chris Woods in goal. Obviously, he was at Steel Rangers at the time. He'd been waiting for quite a while um, to dis- displace Shilton. So you know, it was time for him to come in. Lee Dixon, Stuart Pearce, Paul Parker, Des Walker, and uh, Mark Wright at the back. So it was still playing that sort of. Um, Three five two sweeper, as it was called. Sweeper, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so in midfield, we've got uh, Sir David Platt to give him his official title. <laughs> um, we've got uh, Paul John Gascoigne at number eight, uh, flanked by Johnny Barnes, and then up front is uh, Mr. Steve Ball, the legend of Wolverhampton Wanderers, and um, of course the new skipper Gary Lineker, which we'll probably talk about in a minute. Um, and then on the bench, there's sort of a host of 90s names. Dorigo came on for Pierce um, at half time, and Chris Waddle came on for Steve Ball about 15 minutes to go. Unused subs were Dave Seaman, Trevor Stephen, and Peter Beardsley. So he didn't really move too far away from Italian IT. I think Lee Dixon and Chris Woods coming in are probably the, the two standouts there. Mm. I mean, Stu, like when any New England manager comes in off. Uh... I mean, the expectations were ridiculous at this point because we just reached a World Cup semi-final. He'd kept that basis. Was that the right call that at time or and bringing in kind of Lee Dixon? Was that the, the, the starting base for Taylor? That's baby steps, do you think? Yeah, of course, it's, it's difficult, isn't it, when you, you've got to the semi-final of the World Cup to just start completely chopping and changing everything. I think, like I said, Woods, obviously, Shilton's gone, so, you know, they needed... A new keeper, Butcher had gone. Robson pretty much wasn't there at all during Taylor's yeah. time anyway, and, and certainly wasn't at the first yeah. game. Um, and Lee Dixon, yeah, he's pretty much the only the only one that wasn't at, in the in the Italian ninety squad. Mm. Um, that's, that's in that six, sixteen. So, yeah, it's it, it's difficult. If, if I mean, like, you can imagine the press if it had just started, you know, throwing in some of his old Villa side, <laughs> not just thinking yeah. goal and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff. So. Yeah. He did that gradually because I, I was do, I was doing research earlier because seeing who he brought in gradually, and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But like, I thought you, you, when a new manager coming, you do think maybe has because he's worked with that Aston Villa squad, you they may have seen like a Tony Daly, 
uh, at that point. I know he called out Gordon Cowens um, for a couple of caps just after that, who he'd worked with at Villa as well. But yeah. he stuck to to what he's known and one nil victory on the night. Obviously, Mr. Lineker getting the goal. You alluded to, to it there, Ed. He yeah. made Lineker captain. Now, we're going to put our old man hats on now and say, like, I'm coming to you first, Stu. A centre forward as a captain is... I'm still not a fan of that, and that was unusual at the time, wasn't it? No, yeah, I, I'm not a fan of it actually. Either. I mean, I, I know you could say Shearer did well later on in the nineties as England captain, but he, he was quite an influential player. But to me, it's I, I like a centre half as a captain. Yeah. <laughs> we can see all you know, you can see everybody out in front of you. At the very least, a midfielder. At the very least, but yeah, not uh, not for me. Not 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 a centre forward. And to be honest, Lineker never had um, previous for that at any club. Mm. You know, like he was—he hadn't had form as being a captain anyway before. So it was—it was pretty much giving his star player the the, the armband. Mm. Is is it more of like the, the international captaincy, and it probably started in this era, has become more of a, a trope for a talisman rather than a you know blood and guts Terry Butcher, Tony Adams. I got John Terry. Um, you know, someone of that ilk. Would it be something like that? But I think now we, you know, look at Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi isn't. And he, a, you know, if you if he wasn't Lionel Messi in inverted commas, you wouldn't give him the captain's armband. But he's been Argentina's captain for God knows how long. I think, yeah, I think there is something in that. Ash. I think maybe due to the fact that international um, teams meet for a very short period of time, um, so in effect, to have a talisman, the one player that sort mm. of stands out perhaps above the rest, who does set a good example both on and off the pitch, rather than as you say, the, the sort of blood and guts, maybe Roy Keane type, just to add another sort of name, obviously yeah. not an England name, but you know, that sort of type of that sort of type of player. Um yeah, I think that's right. I I agree with what you're saying about um what Stu was saying actually about it being a centre half or maybe a centre midfielder. I've never maybe that's just an old school way of thinking, but like mm. none of us as far as I know, none of us are football coaches here, but goalkeepers and strikers as captains I've never really understood because they're at opposite ends of the pitch it's almost like where a defender you can see pretty much everything that's 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 going on around you I can remember actually talking about newspapers earlier on and and dads actually I can remember the newspaper dropping through the letterbox and dad picking up the newspaper and, and like Lineker captain like it was a real like you don't have you don't have strikers captains. Now, there's probably somebody listening that's got a long list of strikers that were captain long before Gary Lineker, but that was the first one that I remember as being a captain. I just certainly England. I don't, yeah. you know, I don't. It's there's, there's probably games like as yeah. a, you know, as, as someone going, "You are my new captain." Like there's yeah. obviously games where the armband goes flinging around. I think you know Emil Heskey was England captain at some point when the armband was yeah. being flung around under Sven. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I get that. But yeah, to someone go. His, I remember goalkeepers because I think Dino Zoff wasn't he goalkeeper in the eighties for for yes. Italy. So I remember yes. being goalkeeper was was having it. But yeah, strikers. Yeah. I think that became a more of a, obviously we've got Harry Kane now who yeah. you know does the job. But I'm yeah I'm kind of with you. It kind of yeah. they don't see um, the whole pitch, do they? I'm just I'm just looking at the team the team again actually, which um, very helpfully has their date of birth next to it bizarrely. <laughs> and um, Lineker is actually other than Chris Woods in goal, who is not an established international as such. Um, Lineker's the eldest member of the team. So whether that, I know it sounds Maybe. daft, you know, it sounds a bit daft just to give it to the, the oldest bloke, but he is the one with the most experience. He has been the one who's been top scorer at a World Cup, scored four goals at another World Cup. So he does have that 
sort of international experience, then you're kind of looking more towards Stuart Pearce, which obviously he did get it down the line. And then it's kind of headed towards a younger generation, which is, of course, um, to use his official title, Sir David Platt. <laughs> yeah, I think Pearce was the favourite at the time. I think many believe that having established himself as, you know, England's left back and obviously what happened to him in Italian 90 where he became such an iconic figure, regardless of the penalty miss. I think yeah. he was, you know, he was going to be a mainstay because that's the second thing with a captain. He's going to play. That's why yeah. I always think with Lineker is, and maybe that's an international captain thing as well. You're going to pick the player who's going to play every game. And at that point, Lineker was our number 10. He was, you know, the, almost going to be the top scorer. Obviously he didn't get there, but that was the, the thinking at the time. So maybe that was behind it as well. Oh, but... oh, oh Pierce, Pierce had been vice captain for a number of yeah. years by then as well. So, yeah, it would make sense to me. To me, I always liked a club captain mm. to be the inter- because, yeah. just because of that, of that experience doing it. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree. I'm trying to think if Keep Yarrow ever had a striker as a captain. I, I can't. I mean, Charlie Austin is probably somebody who's who's had the R banners and understudy at the moment. But as a, as a full time captain, I don't. I don't. I, there's not one I can. Rec- I mean, Tarabt was captain for a while, which was ridiculous. But I think that was just Neil Warnock's way of going. You are the man. Stay the man and get us promoted, which um, which he did. Um, but that's talking on a different decade, of course. Um, following this match, guys, and oh, one thing I was going to mention was Lee Dixon coming in. So what this this is 1990, no, 1990. The yeah. fact that he was still playing for England in 1999 under Howard Wilkinson and only got mm-hmm. like I don't think he got more than a does no more than a handful of caps it's kind of a a very quirky england career for lee dixon he the fact that he played under a number of england managers was in one of the best defenses of the decade but can't count that many caps to his name and there weren't many right backs of that decade that and they never came towards the end but you can't say oh that was the england right back for the decade can you yeah no well i think you like to say parker they use him as a center half that first game mm. didn't they yeah yeah they did yeah i think lee dixon i think he got I think off the top of my head, I, I'm going to say 22. So if you're googling it right now, I am. Um, Do you think you got that many? I'm, I'm yeah, I think you're right. I think I think 21 of them had Wanda Taylor. 22. Yeah, hello, Ed Chamberlain. Hello, yeah, they got that really, one. Didn't they? Yeah, ding dong. That is a really geeky moment, and I can <laughs> promise you, I haven't looked that up. Um, so Lee Dixon, yeah, as Stu alluded to there, Lee Dixon's best time for England, without doubt, was under Graham Taylor. He was kind of. Taylor's go-to um, right back for for a time. Um, obviously, we'll we'll um, overlook why he didn't pick El Barrett. Um, yeah, well, he picked him for one. Yeah. I think he had two caps for El Barrett. Yeah. Um, was... So, but uh, yeah, so Dixon, yeah, Dixon came in um, very much part of um, part of Taylor's Taylor's time. Yeah, I can break it down for you actually. So, in 1990, he got four caps. 91, seven caps. 92, four caps. 93, six caps. And then got a final cap in 1999. So, yeah, it's bizarre. Bizarre. <laughs> bizarre. Very interesting England. It's like Gareth Barry. I think he's that. I think because he had a career where he's in, he's out, he's in, he's out. And yeah. He played under a number of different um, England managers, but then he was playing for like a hundred years. So I suppose yeah. if if that's going to happen for anyone, it's going to be Gareth Barry. Um, England did go on. This is where I'm talking about England, and maybe history should be a bit kind to Graham Taylor. They didn't lose under Taylor for a year after that. Mm. Their first defeat came in uh, a 1-0 friendly loss to Germany at Wembley, which I believe uh, Germany were wearing that green alternative kit to their home kit, which I think they've worn like once or twice. It's a very rare and sought after kit. Um, I was actually um, actually at that. Oh, were you? Um, Funny enough, yeah. Yeah, I was at that. I was at that game. Um, All I could seem to recall about it was uh, people kept standing up 
Um, and um, How dare they? Yeah, I know. And I was only, what, eight or nine or whatever it was at the time. And I just remember thinking that, you know, this can't be, this can't be right. I can't see a single thing. But yeah, I was at, so maybe it was my fault. But Taylor <laughs> lost is, uh, you know. Is, I, feel, I feel your pain, Ed. I've been at Wembley before when you have to, as a young boy, you having to stand on the seats just to see. Yeah, yeah. They, you remember the old plastic, the old plastic, yeah, yeah, the yeah. old plastic yeah. seats with no backs. They yeah. didn't have any backs. Didn't yeah, everybody. To, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it was kind of every every man and child for themselves, really. So uh, yeah, no, but uh, yeah. So that was uh, yeah, that was September '91, I think. Yeah. Did you say that, Ash? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so they they would have been in the midst of qualification then yeah right? yeah they were yeah. in their qualifying campaign yeah because yeah. we you know they'd had the the summer tournament where that i think it was called the challenge cup or something it was called yeah. that they won um yeah which was uh you know they won but they did play like new zealand and australia and malaysia <laughs> yeah and and if you've seen the football tavern recently i posted david hurst's goal Yes. Um, from that game it looked like it took place in a park because there genuinely is a bloke standing behind the goal and what appears to be a burger van just off to the left it did appear a bit unprofessional in this uh, in this day and age that uh, but hey those players that went can always say they played for England and got an all expenses trip to Australia and New Zealand so yeah I remember you know, the game that Lineker scored four goals in because at that point yeah that was, was against Malaysia yeah it was kind of unusual to hear of a player score yeah. More than, you know, more than even well, Hattrick was wasn't you know didn't see many of them, but to see players score four goals for England, it was such a yeah. big deal. So I think Wayne Rooney never did pointing that out for you, uh, or a Hattrick. Um, but yeah, I remember that game, and <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting funny looks from Ed Chambers because he knows yeah. my opinion on Wayne Rooney. Um, <laughs> but I'm by this nothing. point, I think there were small cracks. I mean, England didn't in that qualifier camp for Euro '92. They didn't set the world on fire. They had Ireland in their group. They had a tough draw against Ireland. They dropped points against Turkey. And it took that moment deep into the final game against Poland, where Gary Lineker equalised for them to book their place at Euro 92. Now, I remember the, I could, it, there are certain visions, and I may have talked about this on the show before because I can't remember. We've done so many episodes and we'll get to Rotterdam where I can talk about I was being in the New Forest on a break, which I've talked about 20 million times. But I, I had this vision of me watching this England-Poland game in my living room, sitting on the armchair and going absolutely bonkers when when Gary Lineker scored that goal. Um, I probably knew, kind of knew what it meant, but not the grand scheme of it. I mean, guys, do you have memories of that moment or that qualifying campaign, Stu? Coming it's, to- worth, it's worth saying um, that, that Poland game, I think the BBC only had rights to the second half. Really? So they- yeah, 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 yeah. They only yeah, started from half time onwards. Yeah. So so you got to see the Lineker goal, but in the in the first half, I believe they went one nil down, didn't they? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you join it as they're one nil down and they've got uh, you know half a game to save getting to the Euros. But it's, it's also worth mentioning that Ireland really messed up in that yes. uh, yeah. that group. They, they were three one up against Poland and drew three all. Now, if they'd have won that game, England wouldn't have gone. Yeah. Um, just before, so they put it on a plate for England for that last game. Really, just even a draw in Poland. Yeah, that's that's one hundred percent right. Um, something that I don't I don't really hide from any of my followers on the football tavern is that um, I have Irish like roots, have Irish family. 
and it was a weird qualification campaign that because I remember sort of like uh, like sort of uncles and grand sort of grandparents sort of like willing Ireland to, to get to the Euros and then the other side you had the English contention sort of willing winning England to get to the Euros and I remember that the Gary Lineker goal vividly Taylor probably claimed that as a one nil win if nobody saw the first half um, <laughs> but it was probably a it was probably a one nil win but yeah um, the only thing I do remember about that qualification campaign is that. At Lansdowne Road, Taylor dropped Gascoigne in favour of, and I'm going to say either Steve McMahon or Gordon Cowens. It was I'm Gordon Cowens. Was Cowens. Gordon Cowens. Cowens. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was, but I just didn't want to be. I didn't want to be wrong. Um, and everybody yeah. sort of, everybody sort of going, you know, batshit crazy basically. Um, if I get a yellow card for for a use of a swear word, but Taylor dropped essentially one of the best players on the planet. Now, some might say that was a tactical reason, but I, I, if you read, if, I don't know. If, I don't know if you've read Graham Taylor's book. It got no, made, it, I haven't. It was, it was, it was, he was making it before he died, and then the the writer actually published uh, with, with the yeah bless the blessing of his family published it after he died. And Taylor explains um, on that. Um, obviously, he managed Paul McGrath at Villa, yeah. and and McGrath. I, I don't know whether this is a bit of gamesmanship or what, but McGrath would give Taylor a, a heads up that the Irish team were going to um, target Gascoigne to try and get him sent mm. off. Because it obviously was a, a very uh, hectic atmosphere there. And um, so, yeah, so Taylor just did not want to put him in there because I, I think he's on the bench, but he didn't even come on that game, Gascoigne. He just, he's no. just out of it completely. So, and it's, it's all down to Paul McGrath. Uh, yeah. Whether he meant it or not, he, he got Gascoigne off the pitch. Right, that's, that's interesting. Um, I'm quite surprised that Taylor... Or am I surprised that Taylor fell for that? Um, maybe not. Um, but yeah, I just that was the one thing. Of course, England took the lead through. Of course, David Platt, and then um, Ireland equalised through Cascarino, I think, if yeah. I remember rightly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then of course the return game at Wembley was incredibly interesting as well because that was that was one all as well. So you couldn't really separate the separate the two sides. But England, obviously, as Stu, Stu was saying, um, Ireland basically messed it up, and, and England managed to. To scrape through to the to scrape through to the I was just looking at the teams here. They're such a good island team. Like yeah. it's ridiculous. Like it's coming off of that 1990 team. And in no disrespect to the current crop, which I think uh, Ireland uh, are in a big lull internationally yeah. at the moment. And obviously some of these aren't technically Irish either. But you know, like I'll argue, I'll argue that, but go on. Yeah, yeah, but look, just running like Bonner, Irwin, Stoughton O'Leary, Moran, Townsend, McGrath. Houghton, Quinn, Aldridge, Sheedy and Cascarino played that second game. I mean... They're at the peak of the powers. Though, yeah. That's pretty, yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty dangerous. If you're going to pick mean, an, you know, an Irish dream team of that era, I, I can't, you know, you might bring in Roy Keane, obviously, yeah. slightly latterly, but... That's, that is, that's an age, that's an age where the Irish players were playing for essentially the big clubs yeah. in England, the Liverpools, the Arsenals, the Man United's, all that, you know, I probably forget one now, but there's, you know, Aston Villa. Um, you know, they're, they're playing for they're playing for playing for those clubs. Whereas, of course, nowadays, I mean, that's not what we're here to talk about. Now, nowadays, they're they're playing for championship clubs, essentially. Um, well, at the minute, if not Jimmy Dunn doesn't get a call up to the next squad, then there's right. something wrong with the uh, yeah, because uh, yeah, yeah. he's been brilliant for QPR. Um, what was I going to? So you mentioned Gascoigne there. We have what we should talk about Taylor and what things kind of get thrown at him is his selection of players. In, yeah. during those three years because I think you know there is a pattern and it's been pointed out we don't need us to say it but he did prefer a workman-like more team you know you mentioned Gasco in there obviously 
he was robbed of Gascoigne for a lot of his reign because of the injury in the 91 Cup final. So although he did drop him for the Ireland game, most of his reign, he was unavailable for, um, for Taylor as well. John Barnes had his injury problems, but he largely ignored players like Waddle, who, yes, was coming to the end of his career, but you saw what he was doing for Marseille and then the, you know, what he was doing for Sheffield Wednesday as their talisman as well. Beardsley was a lot for a long time, just out in the cold, you know, Venables brought him back in the early days before year 96. He did prefer that team. And then on the flip side of that comes the, the classic list of players that, that Taylor gave caps to basically. Um, I've got, I think I've 28 players um, he gave debuts to as England manager. Um, and they do include, include players like Les Ferdinand, Teddy Sheringham, uh, who had Paul Merson, who would have a longer Ian Wright, have a longer England career. But you know yeah. what names I'm coming to next, gents? I mean, was because it didn't work for him. Is it? Oh, do we look back and think, oh, Keith Curl, oh, Colton Palmer, Colton, as we should say. Yeah. Uh, Andy Sinton, as much as I joke. Stuart, are, are those players, they didn't work for England. And it, is it unfairly judged in hindsight? Um, I, I think. So I mean, a lot of those were friendly matches as well. Yeah. It, it, I think. I think when it comes more to the selection of your United Two squad, that's where some of his selections unforgivable. Really. Um, like you said, with with Waddle and Beasley, I think. I think October ninety one was the last time either of them were even mm. considered by Taylor. And like you said, Waddle was really tearing it up in France then. Yeah. I. I, I just. It, it, if that was happening these days, it just. It just, it, I, I just don't see how anyone could ignore them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's when you get to his selection for Euro 92, that's when I've got a big problem yeah. with, with, with who he's picking, really, because some of the selections there, are, are, even 30 years on, are quite mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. I, I, to- I totally agree with that. Um, agree with everywhere Stu said there. I think, I think with the... the the Keith Cowles and the I think Gary Charles is and those those sort of players that, that that Taylor tried out. A lot of them were tried out in that tour in Australia and New Zealand. Now history, you said earlier on Ash that history has been unkind to Taylor. I sort of yes and no. I think history is unkind to Taylor with these type of players because in the modern era he is no different to Sven Goran Eriksson or mm. Fabio Capello who tried out a whole host. Now. Chris Powell. Yeah. I saw something the other day. Now, Ash, obviously, again, I don't want to, you know, QPR claxon, but um, Steve Corker, he played a yeah. QPR, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. And I didn't realise that he'd even scored a goal for England. Yeah, that's the right? famous Sweden now, game, wasn't it? Yeah. Now, now, 30 years, 25 years from now, there could be someone doing a podcast going, Steve Corker, <laughs> do, do, do you see what I mean? Yeah. So... It, so I think history is slightly unkind to Taylor there, but as we're Martin Kelly on, played for exactly, England. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So I think as we're as we're moving into to the Euro '92 bit, I think Stu's um, bang on with the, with the selection process for that. Yeah, I mean, again, you're, that's you know switch focus to Euro '92. Um, he was robbed of players for injury. Like I, I spoke to Andy Sinton recently, actually, and he said he didn't expect to go to United two because John Barnes was the one in his position. Yeah. He expected him to go. Um, I think there was someone else he mentioned as well. Maybe it was Waddle. Maybe Waddle was still in the conversation, even though he hadn't played for a while. I think he was still in that because it's the left wing that obviously Sinton uh, would play for. But even so, I, yeah, I, I, for you, Stuart, what, what were the mis? What do you not forgive him for that year in ITT squad? Well, in 1992, 
he didn't take the PFA Player of the Year, who was Gary Pallister, and he didn't take the Golden Boot winner, who was Ian Wright. Yeah. And neither of them were even... Um, Pallister was put on a standby list to begin with, but then got cut off. Ian Wright was dropped altogether. And, yeah, he, was, he wasn't lucky with injuries. Like I said, Lee Dixon got injured just for, like I said, Barnes, Gary Stevens. These are the reasons, like, Keith Kill came in. Um, but, yeah, I, I, can you imagine? The only way that would happen these days is if they would retire from international football. There's just no way somebody who, you know, PFA Player of the Year, you're picked by your fellow professionals as, yeah. you know, the best player that year. So I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what he's, he's, he's missed out there, really. And Ian Wright, because he's always a big fan of Ian Wright. That's always surprised me, to be honest. He gave him his first caps, especially in the USA Night Football qualification. He were, he were shooing for the 11 most of the time. Um, yeah. But he just, he, he, pref- he wanted to take people like Nigel Clough. Mm. And, and don't get me wrong, Clough's a, Clough was a good player, but he's he's not even right. Yeah, I'm just looking at that squad. I mean, obviously he took Shearer as well, who at that point was, you know, yeah. the young up-and-comer and who probably was seen as a possible game-changer. He only had two caps going into that. The, the first one I was at, my first ever football game, live football game, the, the France, uh, February 92, where he made his debut in Lineker and Shearer scored. Rob Jones made his debut that night as well. Uh, he went, that always stands out. Another right-back where we talk about right-backs earlier um yeah I, i'm just looking at the squad now and you think it does lack that kind of impact striker doesn't it i mean shearer and hadn't come to that point yet he was very young alan smith never really made it on the international stage whether that was his fault or never really got a chance he never really had that uh, point and to not have gary pallister when obviously may and i would just come into their very much first peak of, of that decade as well yeah um, and taking keith curl and who else i'm trying to work to martin keown went Ryan Walker, I suppose, was still in there. Yeah, Euro um, Italia 90 pomp as well. I mean, Neil Webb's an interesting one because he, he wasn't really part of the Man United really first 11 at that point. He was kind of, his career was waning as well. So, yeah. Ed, what, what, what are your thoughts on the on Euro 92 and going into, and, and I mean, that's, we, we don't need to go and review the tournament because we've done no, that before, we've, but, we've you know, done that before, yeah. and, and, and um, the points are obvious as well. You know, we know what went wrong. We know we yeah. didn't play well. Thomas yeah. Broly and Darlene, Broly and Darlene. We remember all that as well. So, yeah. I mean, um, Basil, Basil Bolling, Nutting, Stuart Pierce, one. Of course, um, yeah. Lineker coming off in his last game. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I, th- I suppose um, I find I find the Graham Taylor. I just for some reason, and I just find the Graham Taylor era fascinating. So, if if you got ten people sitting around in a pub, for example, and and you said, right, Graham Taylor, was it was he unlucky or was it just poor management? You'd get so many different answers yeah. because you can't quite work it out. So he was unlucky in the fact that. He had injuries before Euro 92. You mentioned Dixon. I think um, Stu mentioned uh, Gary Stevens as well. I think it was three right backs. And I think Mark Wright dropped out as well, which meant that we didn't actually go to Euro 92 with a full complement of players, I think, if I remember rightly. Yeah, that's that's sorry, Ed. It's, the Mark yeah. Wright thing and all, it's it's he he wasn't honest to Taylor about yeah. his injuries. Yes. He, he yes. was trying, he was trying to just keep it under wraps to, so he could go. And then it came to the time to leave for Sweden. And, he got um, and, and apparently, apparently Taylor got on the bus and Mark Wright just wasn't there. Yeah. And he found out off his play, off his players and his staff that oh, Mark Wright's Mark Wright's injured. And it was just it was too late. He had Tony Adams on standby, um, who yeah. arguably should have been in in the first place. But um, he yeah, and it was too late. UEFA wouldn't let him call him up. But so yeah, Mark Wright. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's that's going back to what I was saying about you know if if you sat ten of us down in a in a, in a pub sat sat around there in a pint you'd, you'd you'd sort of sit there and think well that's not Taylor's fault 
No, that's not Taylor's fault. That's Mark Wright's fault. Um, so that's kind of what I take um, from that. Obviously, um, as Ash was saying, the the, the performances, I suppose, the the Sweden, um, the Sweden game, um, we didn't perform well in that tournament. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's funny enough. I suppose the age that we're at, I remember a lot of Italian ninety, but I think that's the first. I love Euro ninety two actually because I think that's the first tournament I really remember. I understood what it meant yeah. that if you, if you got if you got three points or whatever many points it was at a time for a win, it meant that you, you qualified to the next stage and all that. You sort of understand the connotations of a of a tournament, but to not to not take Pallister, to not take right, I don't get it. I, I just I've never understood it. And I think he let himself down big time there. And the way Lineker was replaced. He, I mean Twitter would have gone into meltdown. You know, I'd, I'd love that. to yeah, I'd love to oh. unlock what would Twitter do when yeah. Gary Lina to come off and Alan, yeah. no, yeah, no disrespect to Smudger, who was obviously a very good yeah. strike yeah, of the era, but taking off the talisman, the captain, of course, as we've already discussed as well. Yeah. I, I just, I just always have this thing that perhaps Taylor looked down the line to someone like Laurie McMenemy and said, I'll oh, put, put Alan on and he meant Shearer and McMenemy put on <laughs> Smith. That's the only way, that's the only thing I can, I can think about really. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely an odd move. Obviously Denmark went on to win that, I always call the forgotten tournament of the nineties, but lessons, you know, going into the qualifying campaign then for USA 94, it felt like, because at this point, this is when the sun started calling him a turnip. This is when things really started to get sour for Graham Taylor. And it felt like he never clawed it back. Like the, there were spots in the qualifying campaign for 94 where you thought, Oh, we might, you know, we might do this back, but it just seemed to be one, semi-disaster after another that ended in Rotterdam and as much as I know Ed you allow on Ronald Koeman on your Twitter feed on a regular basis sorry the word escaped my brain for a second um we weren't good you know the Norway team taught us a lesson both home and away pretty much and it was a great Norway team we talk about Ireland earlier being the peak of their powers this was a you know a Norway team full of Premier League players at the time that we all knew but England just it seemed that the, the wheels came off for Taylor and they never quite managed to get back to any kind of proper under his management. It's like he knew that he was, he'd believed the press basically that he wasn't good enough for the job. What, what do you guys think? I think the, 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 the draw against Norway to begin with, yeah. it, it, it's more vital than you, than you think really, because it, it, if they win that game against Norway, then they beat Turkey, San Marino, Turkey again. They go into the Holland game, winning all four games. And they played all right in that Holland game as well. Yeah. 2-0 um, up, everybody. That's a John Barnes two, free kick. 2-0 yeah. up. And it, that was when Des Walker started to really lose his pace. Yeah. Um, when Overmars, he brought Overmars down. Um, so it, it, it sounds like, you know, a, a draw in the opening game of anything, I suppose you've not lost much. But in that qualify, qualifying campaign, I do believe, it was absolutely vital because if, if they win that, it, it could turn out differently. Yeah, very much yeah, so. I, no, I, I tend to agree with I tend to agree with that. Obviously, you alluded to us there on the Twitter page. I I moan about Ronald Koeman. Um, a lot of that's in jest because I know that he was a world class footballer, the bastard. But um, he he's not the reason. He's not the reason that England didn't get to USA '94. Um, as Stu was saying there, the reason is the draw at home to Norway, um, being Sunil up at home to, to the Dutch, and then the appallingness that was the away games in 
Poland and then Oslo in the space of five days in the summer of 93, where, I mean, Poland, in, in terms of what they, they are now, in terms of with Lewandowski and, and sort of the players that they've, they've got, they're not, the, the Poland, you know, they're not as, you know, they're a lot greater now than they were back then. Yeah. And they could have easily been 3 new up, 4 new up, half-time in that game. I can vividly remember that game. This is the Ian Wright game, isn't it? Yes. And then Wrighty came off the bench and, and saved saved the day with about seven minutes to go. Mm-hmm. And and the nation sort of breathed a sigh of relief at that and sort of celebrated the goal. But you remember at the time it was like, well, no, actually, the performance was was actually very, very poor. And that's the sort of game that we should be winning. Well, you look at the home game. We beat them three 0 didn't we? Which was exactly. pretty comfortable, and, it? and it was it was incre- it was incredibly comfortable. Yeah, Les did that game, if I remember rightly. Yeah, and then and then he did, yeah. And then and moving on to moving on to to Oslo, which was just an absolute horror show. Really. Yeah, and I was just looking at that team, and I mentioned Poland and um, Norway being the peak of their powers. Like eight of that eleven played in the Premier League. Yeah, and and you know, Chaws effect for Tottenham, Bjornaby, Liverpool, yeah. Leonardson, who was a great little player. You know, Fjortov, yeah. Bahinen, they they were. A collectively good yeah, they were team. Good I think they were bought off the back of this tool, uh, at the back of this qualification, um, if if you know what I mean. But um, yeah, I mean the performance. I don't know what you. I don't know if you guys, are, you know, you remember the performance in in Oslo. But I seem to recall Taylor switching back to three at the back with win backs and everybody not quite understanding. Obviously, there's a famous scene in the documentary with mm. Nigel Clough who didn't. <laughs> didn't understand a single thing that Taylor... When he came on for Des Walker, didn't he? So he yeah, kind of think, what was he trying to do? Yeah, does he want him to play centre-half? I yeah. think the exact words were playing, I think it was playing the hole behind the strikers and just do what you want from there. And, and Clough didn't understand whether he was to play on the left or the right. It was very, very bizarre. Very bizarre. I've, uh, I've heard Lee Dixon uh, tell a story about that uh, game in Oslo where Gary Pallister was told to man-mark Jostein Flo up front for yeah. uh, Norway. And like you said, they had three at the back and stuff like that. And Flo just went and uh, just hung around on the left wing where yeah. Lee Dixon was at right back. And uh, Palace, so you had two people. Out. It, it was, it's really sort of schoolboy stuff, really. And, um, I mean, these were accusations was, as well, weren't they, that were thrown at Taylor in the beginning that he possibly lacked the tactical nouts to be England manager. And yeah, he hadn't really, like, there were small examples of that but I think having got the pressure and the press on top of him this feel like his mind just completely went yeah. and it became the, the impossible job to for you know linking the he's phrase got, he's got cameras in his face during this time it's like, yeah it's such a bizarre decision that documentary yeah and and uh, Channel 4 um, offered to pull it after that Norway game completely and Taylor just being a man of his word and I, I, I believe his father was a a journalist, so he sort of, yeah. he always felt like he was, he, he was one of them in a bit. And after that Norway game, they the, the said to pull it, and he just, he said, no, no, I've, I've agreed to this now. And he, uh, and they, and they followed right through until the night in Rotterdam. It's a, I mean, everyone who's listening must have seen the documentary like a million times because, because I have, I had it on VHS. I always remember I went to buy it on in our price in Woolwich back in the day um, and they wouldn't let me buy it because it was a 15. I didn't realise at that time. So I had to then go out to my mum and say, can you go and buy me the Graham Taylor VHS? Because it's a bit, because it's obviously a lot of swearing in it. Um, But I was, um, yeah, so, and Channel 4 showed it last year, didn't they? For the first time in its full. Yeah, yeah. Which was a good. They caught all the swearing out of it as well. Yeah, they did. Yeah. But it's such a, 
you know, there's, yeah. there's so many fly on the walls now, like with the Sunderland stuff and, you know, it's yeah. the Tottenham and Man City. I still, I still think this is the best one. And it's I'm not the just best saying one. that. I'm, still, I'm, not, I'm not just saying that because it's 90s and it's nostalgic. I genuinely do believe, I, I still believe that's the best. The best one. cosy really little know. chat with Platty. I love that. He's cosy little chat, like yeah. going to Italy. And he's... Yeah. the thing is with Graham, I get the impression, and I've, you know, we've spoken to, I've spoken to many footballers who say the same. He comes across as such a nice man, yeah. like, and I'm not saying that other Englands aren't, but like a very, like somebody who could sit down with and have a chat, cosy man. And maybe that was to his detriment at some point. It was, was an honor. On, 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 on. I can't say the word honourable man. Yeah, um, and 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 he, he if he said he was going to do something, he did. And like he said, the plat stuff. I mean, that 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 only he could do that with a phone call, but he chose to fly over to yeah. tell Platt mm. that he wasn't going to be captain anymore. I mean, I I, I don't see that happening these days. So to be yeah. a phone call, the Zoom call, yeah, WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love I love that scene when he well seen it actually happen, but I love I love that when he he um he goes over because he's on first of all he's on a plane by himself, which just shows yeah. how lonely. He just <laughs> felt like no one wanted to know Graham Taylor. And, Sorry, Graham, also, I can't come, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah, we're, yeah, we're, yeah. Everyone drops out last minute, and then obviously he's, he's with Platt, and there's those kids waiting to play football with David Platt, and I've always wondered whether they beat David Platt at football. Or not. And, <laughs> Someone and, should track down those kids. That sounds like a long form. <laughs> athletic article yeah. that needs to be written exactly. um we should move on and talk about venables uh, because we could be here all day talking about graham taylor's era and i know we we've mentioned rotterdam where it ended obviously the san marino night where we went down after was it david gultieri who's a famous yeah. most yeah. famous san marinian is that right san marini and person Probably like that. someone from san marino but he's the most famous of all time we didn't qualify for the world cup in 94 as i said at the top of the show if we had uh, we picked a squad if you want to go back in the archive me and Stu. and i think was that yeah. joel was that joel with us Stu? no it was it was matthew it was it matthew sorry they'll, they'll be yeah. back soon um but yeah we picked a squad as if we were england managers so go back and, and listen to that it didn't work out for graham taylor terry venables then came in popular popular choice like despite probably you know many club links i think generally terry venables is one of those guys that's just very well liked in the football industry and i think he was at the time then as well again i remember there being many names in the bottom i remember jerry francis at qpr being heavily heavily linked um with the england job uh, at this time as well because qpr were uh, you know coming off top london club ding 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 on your bingo cards um and so <laughs> but every week well you've got you got to mention that it's, the, it's one thing we could cling on to yeah. uh, but I remember this, and I, I, meant, I, I imagine you guys coming to you first, Ed. I mean, Venable seemed like the right fit to put a smile back on England faces, didn't he? He was, yeah, he was the right, perhaps the right man at the exact right, right time. He was, he was that sort of, uh, sort of cheeky chappy, but also tactical genius, I suppose that yeah. we were looking, we were looking for uh, to a certain extent, because um, if we were gonna give a verdict on Taylor's time, I would say that it was poor management in the end rather than bad luck. I think it's sort of not heavily weighted in terms of poor management, but in the end I think it was. Um but and we were we were crying out for a we were crying out for a saviour and Venables came with that that sort of aura. And also we should we should not ignore the fact that the FA didn't want him. It was Jimmy yeah. Armfield I think that 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 yeah. That really, Stu, you probably know a lot better than me from the, from that because obviously you know you you know you you know that that era. But um, I just seem to recall Armfield being in the being involved heavily with heavily with that. Yeah, he's 
like I, I can't recall in my lifetime a more popular choice at the, at the time yeah. to be to take over as an England manager. But like you said, he had because I mean he'd already started these legal things with Alan Sugar by this point. Um, there was a panorama thing on Venables' finances. Um, the MP Cape Howie uh, stood up in Parliament and said he shouldn't be the manager because of all the baggage he got. Um, uh, I don't know if you remember uh, Sabert Millichip, who was part of the FA. He was yeah. he was in the press saying he's, he's not going to be the manager. But like I said, uh, Jimmy Arnfield, they put him in charge, and he spent four weeks travelling the country, um, basically asking the fans who they wanted. And Venables was by far and away the top choice, and he persuaded the FA to interview him. Venables, he impressed at the interview, and he also I did, I, when I, I wrote about this a, a while back and. He also at the time he had he had job offers from Wales and from Nigeria, Venables, um, and uh, both of them were financially better for him. Um, England only offered him, I think, something like 10, 15 grand more than what Taylor was on. Um, which these days, when you look at like it yeah. went up, up from Hod to Hoddle Ben Keegan, they would basically double all the all yeah. the way through the, the salaries. Um, and I think they did that to sort of put him off it, and he just accepted it. And uh, and then from then on, he was in. But you got to think then, if somebody, in terms of the financials as well, if somebody is willing enough to 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 do that, um, to, to and that they 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 want to manage their country, then he he was the right choice at the right time. Mm. Um, so you know, it's it, it's what it's what was needed at the time, definitely, because everybody everybody was in a post Taylor kind of slump, I think. Yeah, and it, well, his first game, Wednesday, 9th of March, 1994, England won, yeah. Denmark nil. Um, yes. Two names he brought into instantly to that England squad, Darren Anderton, Graham Lasso. And yeah. just just by saying the names, you can kind of feel like we're moving on an yes. era. Because um, yeah. they were young upstarts and you know, doing very well at their clubs. And I always remember this, and I spoke to Darren Anderton last year, actually. And when he got the call up, his brother was in hospital and there's, there was this like ITAV news piece or I don't know, whatever London tonight, maybe they had to go to the hospital bed of Aaron, Darren Anderson's brother where Darren Anderson was. I think he broke his leg or something like that. It wasn't like he was ill, ill um, and talk about his England call up. And you got the usual trope of, Oh, I thought it was my mate winding me up and all that oh. nonsense. But I just, I, again, it's one of those images I always remember. And I asked Darren about that. And he said, yeah, that's, you know that was normal. I, I was I had to go and see my brother, and then I got the call about England. So I always remember um, that moment as well. Um, I, Paul Parker was in that team, which has kind of surprised me because he was in um, Graham Taylor's first team as well. So yeah. Paul Parker was still. Um, I don't. Hanging. I don't think Venables picked Parker after that. No, I, I don't. Because I, I yeah. when I saw it this morning, I was like Park because he was at Man United. Yeah, he was still at Man United yeah, at that United, point. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I remember that game quite vividly and they played Greece very soon afterwards as well. And they smashed them five, was it four or five nil, if I remember rightly. And it's, it felt like the, the reins had been taken off five nil. It was actually, um, Peter Beardsley came back in for that game as well. Yeah. I mean, what are your early memories, Ed, of, of Terry Venables, his, his reign as England manager? Well, like, I mean, like you, I'm just, funny enough, I'm just looking at the, the team lineup now and it, it just... Even, even like nearly thirty years on, I just feel a bit better already. That sounds ridiculous, <laughs> but I'm just looking at this and like Anderton, um, like you were saying, came in and obviously at the time before maybe obviously he doesn't like the whole sick note thing, but it, a lot of people would associate him with that. He was still very a young, a very yeah. young yeah. and up and coming player, so it was like great get a young player in. Graham Asso, um sort of left on the left hand side, get him in, great. Gazza and David Platt, as usual. Peter Beardsley, 
right? Who you're a lot ripping of people, it up? Who a lot of people adore. I, I think Peter Beardsley is a, was a fantastic footballer. Get him in, and then right behind Shearer, you know, it just felt. And even the subs, right? So I'm looking at the subs. Matt Letizia came on for Paul Gascoigne, right? That's creativity there, isn't it? That's what that's what we want to see. You know, he's, it, picking it just... he's picking informed players. That, yeah. That's what Venables yeah. did straight away. He picked informed yeah. players at the time. Because yeah. that was that was a lot of Taylor's issue. I mean, we talked about, you know, we talked about Des Walker. I mean, Des Walker made a mistake for the goal in Norway. He, he gave away a penalty against the Dutch, etc. You know, Taylor dropped him too late. Whereas I don't think um, Venables would have would have necessarily done that. He, he sort of made the decisions to, to get players in there. But, I mean, it was interesting with Letizia. I seem to recall with Letizia's time or Venable's time with England, that Letizia wasn't really used that much when maybe he was, you know, he was scoring fantastic goals for fun. Um, I'm with Venables. Always have I been. know you are. I know you, I know you are. And I was hoping, I was going to ask Stu actually where he stands on that whole Letizia debate because I think he was magnificent myself. It was a great, great club player for Southampton, but I, I, I'm sort of with Ash. I don't, I don't oh. believe England had to, I don't believe England Didn't had to build their hey. team around him. There no, is a reason. There is a reason Matthew Letizia never moved clubs, and it's because exactly. I agree. I agree. He was a massive, massive, talented fish in a. And this is no disrespect to Southampton because this is what they were at the time. A very small yeah. pod. If yeah. I don't know, I mean, Chelsea were linked with him for a long time. Liverpool, I think, as well. If yeah. he had gone there, you wouldn't have got the Matt Letizia showreel career that yeah. we saw. And no England manager could really ever trust him because you never saw him. In those big, pre- I know relegation battles a very different mindset to winning the league. You know, you talk to, I always think of the Aston Villa team who came second in 1993. They're, they all, everyone you ever speak to in that team says the biggest flaw in that team was experience. They didn't know how to win a league. They didn't play enough big games. Matt Letizia had the same thing. He didn't ever play in a pressurised team. He always had like, given the ball, we'll do what he wants. Don't, um, don't get me wrong. Fabulous player. Horrible I, political I, views now. I really, I really hope that we we get a listener backlash when when you consider when you consider we've we've sort of said at the start that the only listeners were probably my mum and Stu it's probably <laughs> my mum that's going to write in but you know um I uh, yeah I think if he'd have moved to a, a Tottenham or a Chelsea uh, I think he would have flourished under the right manager personally but that's not what we're here to talk about maybe no, we'll save that one for another that's a, day that's a what if but, if there ever was one possibly abs- abs- absolutely yeah so um but going back to the Venables first game let's not forget that the Danes were also a very good side yeah let's not let's not I mean they're obviously they're the they're um you know the one year in IT year in IT or whatever they're not they're not a bad outfit I mean they had just quickly, um, there were two players playing that night for Denmark that played in the Premier League. Peter Smichael was one, the obvious. Can you tell me, just quickly... Well, I can, because I've got the team in front of me. Uh, <laughs> actually, and well, actually, I, I actually, actually it's three. Sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that back, because Jensen did play. I just spotted him, sorry. There's another name in there that did play in the Premier League. Um, at that time, he was actually a Premier League player that evening. Um, I'll just give you the answer now. It's it's Jakob Kelberg, Kelberg who, played yeah, yeah. Chelsea, who played for Chelsea. Classic Mark, 90s Mark Reaper. Mark Reaper also played for Denmark, but I don't think he was at West Ham. Not at that, that point. Time. I no, think he no. came. I think he came a bit later. Um, but you know, the Danes were a good side, and it was a good result. I mean, I, I alluded to the goal earlier on. Um, 
fantastic ball from Beardsley, if I remember rightly. And the run from David Platt was a proper attacking midfielder's run. Okay. And, you know, Platt, Platt, Platt. Yeah, Platt, vintage Platt. Platty. Vintage, vintage. I've got a stat for you, right? I, 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 this, I worked this out this morning. So, obviously, what England then faced was two years of friendlies because they were hosting Euro 96. So, yeah. for a lot of the early Terry Venables reign was kind of oh let's play these friendlies you know not even the us cup which we didn't talk about under taylor which i always remember really fondly because they played america and i love the american team alexi lalas played that day roy wegley obviously played that day and they lost miserably um i think yanks versus planks is the famous um headline that was during that summer tournament and we had the umbro cup which we'll probably finish on before we go um but in graham taylor's time in charge he gave 28 debuts to players before Euro 96, Terry Venables gave 24. So, mm. like, a lot of mud is thrown at Graham Taylor and picking players. Yep. And then some of these names, again, you're going back to your Stephen Corkers and your Martin Kellys, you know, David Unsworth got a cap. Barry Venison got a cap. Colin, Colin Cooper. Cooper. Yeah, Colin <laughs> Cooper got a cap in, in that era. So, I mean, every England manager does it, but I think it bows down to your success, doesn't it? It's like no one remembers Venables going, like, why is he picking... Steve Howey and, you know, given Neil Ruddock in England Cup, he was never good enough to play for England. But yeah. I think Venables got free reign because, because, yeah. because he, was, he was leading up to a tournament. He had two years of pretty much doing what he liked as long as he was ready for the Euros. And, you know, I remember, I mean, I know we're going to get into the Umbro Cup, but there's, there's a couple of uh, selections in there where um, he, had, he had some pullouts and uh, he's, he, he weren't happy with certain players, Venables. That pulled out because it was it was a it was a big deal to him at the time. This was like a warm up to the pre to the next summer um, for hosting a tournament. So um, yeah, it's, I, I think I think Venables he could have done whatever he liked right up until right up until you're an six To be honest, as as an as an England fan, I don't know what you you guys think, but I I seem to recall not enjoying that eighteen month to sort of two year period. It was almost like it lacked. A qualification. Jeopardy, didn't it? Um, it lacked jeopardy. It lacked, it lacked a bit of excitement. It was like, oh, there's another friendly on a freezing mm-hmm. cold night at, at Wembley and we're playing, you know, America or Greece or or whatever. And it just... Quite a few finished nil-nil as well, which didn't help. Yeah, it was a Uruguay game, which was absolutely... It just stunk the place out. I seem to recall, yeah. I seem yeah. to recall that. March yeah. 95, the Columbia game as well with the Rennie oh. against the Scorpion kick, which people remember the kick, but they remember the game. They, oh, because the they don't game remember was... the game because it was dire. Oh, the, game was, the game was appalling. I just seem to recall fantasy football sort of doing a lot of sketches about yeah. how boring. All You're right. Norway, we drew time. nil-nil with. Croatia, oh. there was a nil-nil draw oh. with. Yeah, there was a few. There was definitely... Yeah. Uh, it's rubbish, isn't it? Venables. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm also, I mean, I, what I will say about Venables as well, this and lucky is probably too strong of a word. He got the team he inherited eventually. Like Taylor didn't have that luxury because those players weren't ready yet. Like you look at the Euro 1916, Ince was coming to his peak. Stephen Manaman came out of you know, nowhere and became a key player. He yeah. had Platty with the experience. Alan Shearer became the complete striker. Gareth Southgate, Tony Adams, Gary there Neville. Dave Seaman became the proper number one. Like Venables, is t- the transition between the two eras was helped by new players who were better than the other th- old players and the players that Taylor had coming into their almost peak or beginning of the peak of their powers, which, again, it still needs a good manager to manage them. I think the biggest example of, of that at the moment is Man United. You can't just pick the best players 
that you've got and expect them to play. You need a manager who knows what he's doing. And it's evident that May United haven't had that in the last couple of years. That's and It's proof in coaching. It makes me feel quite nice as well that you can't just football manage your way in life. But I do think there's an element of that. And you mentioned the Umbro Cup there. I went to that for my birthday treat, the Japan game um, in 1995. And, you know, again, you, you gave first caps to John Scales, Stan Collymore, who's somebody, again, you talked about Matt Letitia. There's somebody who could have had more England caps because it, that was more down to his own demons rather than who he played for. But you know, another talent and the strikers we had. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a different. It's a difficult period to judge, isn't it? Because like you say, guys, it's like it was full of friendlies. There were a lot of caps given out, and until we got to your NIC, I think I don't think we really knew what to expect of this England team. What What, what do you think? Uh, I, with regards to you mean with regards to the starting lineup? Yeah, what would have been. Um, yeah, uh, it were anyone's guess, wasn't it? I think, I think the, the nearer you got, I mean, I mean you, all the way through, I mean, I, I know we talk about Platt again, he's the captain. Yeah. And then just before, he gets taken off because he's not going to be in the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. So, that, that it's, it, like you say, it's right up until that opening game. I think squad numbers always give you a bit of an idea, don't they, when, uh, when he, he names them just before. Um, but yeah, up until then, I, I yeah. had seven, didn't he? Platt had the number seven shirt. Oh yeah, I don't think that I don't think that it took uh, captaincy and seven off. Like that'd have been a nightmare for him, wouldn't it? Yeah, because yeah, I think Manon was seventeen, wasn't he? Who played a lot more of yeah. the games than, than David and than David Platt did, um, for sure. Um, Ed, I mean, you mentioned you weren't happy with it, but what were your expectations? You're in I six. Do you remember going back that far? Um, yeah, I mean, I, re- I seem to recall seeing. Um, an interview with Venables actually before year in 96, where he was like, well, we, we, you know, obviously we, we're here to win. And I just remember sort of at the time thinking you can't be serious. Like, you, you know, you can't be serious because we've just had two years of crap nil nil friendlies, which we've sort of alluded to. And, you know, whilst we are a decent side, we've got some good players, Man United players, etc. You know, Shearer, great player in the league, but he's not scored for, for 18 months, two years for England. It just the expectation for Euro '96 for me was obviously get out, get out of the group, and then see how we see how we fare, see how we fare from there, really. Um, but it just then obviously you had you know what we obviously don't want to get too far into Euro '96, but you had all the shenanigans with the dentist chair and all that sort of stuff. It was it was again, but I thought Venables handled the press a lot better than Taylor did. Yeah, um, well the press you know, liked Venables, it. The press yeah, liked it, but but I think I just say I'm just I don't know if Stu remembers, but there, there was a a press conference, I think, where Venables, instead of, you know, instead of doing the traditional FA sort of slamming the players for what happened on the plane on the way home, Venables sort of, like, basically told the press to shut up and leave them alone, essentially. Um, Collective responsibility, wasn't it, for the players? Collective responsibility, yeah. 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 Which um, Stuart Pearce actually writes about in his book. Um, I don't know if you guys have read that, but Stuart Pearce Pearce says something along the lines of... um, like whoever broke the window, I think, on the plane or whatever, basically the whole squad agreed to to chip in um, and pay for it as, as a collective um, to, just to show some sort of unity, much to apparently Mrs Pierce's, um, you know, apparently anger. But Stuart Pierce was like, no, this is this is a squad. This is a squad. We're in this to win it. Um, I think it helped. It helped. All that stuff helped because yeah, the, more the, pre- the, more the, pre- the more the press got on their backs, yeah. the more it galvanised the side. Yeah, and, and that's, uh, where, that's where Venables was, Fred. That's yeah, where he was, yeah. good. Yeah, and you talk to anyone from that squad, and I have in the past, and they, when you ask them, 
who's the best manager or one of the best coaches. They mentioned Venables, like his tactical awareness, you know, the famous Christmas tree formation that he, he liked to, to put on. They always mentioned how good he was and the fact that he was a, he was good at that and also well-liked, good man manager. He was a complete package. I mean, yeah. as a QPR fan, he's the only manager to take us to an FA Cup final. And, and that was nearly yeah. 10, you know, over 10 years up uh, before this. So he, he, he clearly had everything as a manager. It's just a shame that we never got to see post Euro 96 and that bubble that everyone was in in the greatest summer mm. of all time, how that England team would have fared um, coming out of that. So, but that's for another day, guys, because uh, we're, we're finishing up on, on on this and that. One thing I wanted to throw, and this stat kind of means nothing, but I did it anyway this morning, going back to Graham Taylor. So he his record, he, he played 38 games for England. So effectively a Premier League season he had in charge of England. So if you turn that into points for a Premier League season, going, mm-hmm. judging by his record, his win-loss record, it would give him 67, which last season would have put him in the Champions League place. Which I mean, no means nothing. I just, yeah. just, it just, I was just a little spark of, oh, we had 38 games. That's the Premier League season. So it's well, I was, like I was going to say, yeah, it's, right. yeah. it's not a bad record. It's not a bad I record, was, that's it. I was, I was going to say that uh, no team in the Premier League scores like 12 goals against the same opposition <laughs> in like San Marino. But then you look at Man City, maybe that's actually well, quite Well, ask, you know, ask Mark Bielsa and Leeds United at the moment because they seem exactly. to be shooting goals like crazy. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. um, have, Anything before we tie an, a bow on, on this era and the wilderness years of England, um, Ed, anything else you wanted, we haven't touched on or you want to mention from Taylor to Venables? No, I think I think we've covered Taylor to, to Venables, the handle. I think we've covered, covered most of it. I think in that regard, I still maintain that Taylor was, uh, it was poor decisions that didn't get us to, to America. Um, not so much the bad luck. And also, I think Venables um, handled the press a lot better. Um, yeah. I think that's the two things I'll, I'll sort of take away um, from that period. Now, so I, Steve, that's it. Really. Um, I, I think one thing I, I, I wanted to mention actually, um, Venables. I know he was well liked and everything, but it could also be quite ruthless. Mm. He didn't. Um, and what I was on about with the Umbro Cup, Paul Ince pulled out of the Umbro Cup just before because for a couple of reasons. It, one, he was moving to Inter Milan. And another, he, he was a, a witness in the Cantona Kung Fu. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and he, I mean, he, he, he just pulled out. Um, and Venables didn't pick him again until the following March. Mm. So it, it, you, you, you didn't cross him either. That's what I mean. Like you said, the full package, he, yeah. he did have that ruthlessness. Mm. It's kind of the way it should be, I suppose. Yeah, that's probably why he had success and maybe Graham Taylor didn't. But yeah. Yeah. Let, let us know what you think. It was Taylor unlucky or was Taylor just not good enough for the England job? It's probably a question we'll never, ever get the answer to. But it's been a fun ride looking back at the era. Um, Stu, where can people find you and your immense catalogue? You must spend sort of long nights on YouTube trying to find Brian Clough monologues and David Platt goals we've never seen. Where can people yeah, find you? you get, yeah, the, the, the previous nights. Uh, my, uh, yeah, I think my wife knows to leave me alone now. <laughs> Get, gets to seven o'clock and I start looking for the next morning. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah my my, uh, my Twitter handles uh, Stu's Footy Flash, and I've also got like I've got over forty articles on me on my blog website, which is Stu'sFootballFlashbacks.com. Cool. And you did you did a podcast last year, didn't you? I let a couple of episodes of that. How's it? Will we have seen return of that at some point? Uh, it was just wrong timing, really. We started it and then, yeah, we couldn't, we couldn't really carry on. So 
Maybe in the yeah. future. Maybe. Well, we'll get you back on here for sure. Um, Ed, if people want to drink in the football tavern, where <laughs> where do they need to go on Twitter to find uh, you? They come to at Tavern Football. There we go. And, uh, simple as. Simple, yeah, straight to the point, really. You know, simple you as. Me, you asked me a question, answered it. Is it uh, Lots yeah. of Robert, Robert Rosario's behind the bar. Robert, Robert Rosario's and Ronald Koeman, the bar <laughs> thing going on, but um, yeah. but uh, I still think my favourite my favourite thing is to um, wish footballers birthdays on the day that it's not their birthday. And Colton um, got yeah. a bit confused by that, didn't he? Yeah, he, Colton, <laughs> God bless Colton Palmer, who actually replied to me giving his full date of birth to prove and birth that it was. And passport. And, and, <laughs> you know, I was like, it's all right, Colton, you just haven't quite got the date, mate. Oh, Colton. Yeah. Anyway, uh, follow the show at AK90s on Twitter. And please, yeah, join in the fun. We'll be back soon with more 90s nonsense. I've been Ash Rose. This is Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Until next time, keep it 90s.